Is anyone else just like super excited? So good. Our God is so good. And I just want to say yes and amen. Um, the more we surrender and the more we ask for those gifts and the more we press in, the more miracles we're going to see. Um, so we'll just keep that microphone on, huh? So this morning we are um, continuing on on this sermon series about consecration, this idea of being set apart to be holy. God says you are holy, and he also calls his people to be holy. And so as we learn about consecration, we're working through Paul's letters to the Corinthians, 1 Corinthians. And so um, this morning we are picking up at 1 Corinthians 1, and we'll be reading verses 10 to 16. And as Mark mentioned, if at any point in the service you feel led to put your name on that cross and say, I'm consecrated unto the Lord, feel, feel welcome to do that. So 1 Corinthians 1, 10 to 16. These are Paul's words. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say. And that there be no divisions among you, but that you may be perfectly united in mind and in thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. And another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas, and still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius, so no one can say that you were baptized in my name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember. If I baptized anyone else. This is the word of the Lord. As Pastor Gina shared with us last week, um, here at Gold Avenue Church in the year 2021, we have a lot in common with the ancient church in Corinth. Um, If you remember, Corinth was a city full of wealth. If you think about the grand scheme of the world, Grand Rapids is a pretty rich place. It was a super sinful place known for things like drunkenness, um, lots of sexual immorality. Corinth was a city that was full of pagans and idols and all kinds of different worldviews and religious perspectives, which feels to be becoming more common around us, doesn't it? Corinth was a city much like Grand Rapids also in that it was a city of people looking for someone or something to follow. Time has changed, but people haven't really changed that much. And this concept of following isn't a new thing to us, is it? We, we click that follow button quite often, or that like button, subscribe, whatever your platform is. Corinth followed different philosophers and temple priests, and they looked to different perspectives on worship and different gods to meet their needs. And today, whether we follow a sports team or a political party, Whether we watch a specific news channel, follow a specific social media influencer or author or a celebrity pastor, we all have our favorite pastors, right? 
that we listen to. That's not me, someone else. I think it's safe to say that we all follow somebody, don't we? Watching someone's page, listening to someone's articles, something. With just the click of a button, you and I can decide what news we read. We can decide if we watch cat videos or sports recaps or baking tutorials, whatever your your thing is. We're a culture that likes to follow. And we're also a culture that loves that individuality and freedom to curate what we take in, right? Like my news feed is going to look very different from someone else's because we hit like and we get to decide what we agree with, what matches our opinions, what we'd like to follow. This desire to choose and to follow, it's not a new thing. It's a built-in feature of humanity. God gave us choice. It's a good gift. But it can become a problem, as we see in Corinth. As we said, Pastor Gina set this foundation last week for consecration and understanding Corinth. Corinth is riddled with problems. It's got divisions and disunity. It's got disrespect of leadership and misuse of the gifts. There was misunderstanding of really important doctrine, and there was just general selfishness among the church in Corinth. I think Pastor Gina listed 11 different problems that are addressed in Corinth just from this letter. And yet Paul wrote the Corinthians with such love and grace. He praises the church. He gives thanks to the Lord for them. He reminds them of their identity, this set-apart, holy, forgiven people that they are, and as such they are to be holy. It's an invitation that's so full of love. And then as we pick up this morning from this foundation of love and grace, Paul starts to get a little direct, like chess was grace to do this week. He starts to speak directly about why he's writing and what he would like to address. Now notice that Paul does not extend grace at the expense of truth. They go together. Paul starts to address the first problem, and that first problem is this pesky little issue of personal choice creating disunity within the church. Verse 10, where we picked up, starts with this passionate appeal. Paul's in a position of authority, right? So he's got every right to say, people, come on, you need to toe the line. But instead, he comes to them and he says, brothers and sisters... My peers, people I love, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this appeal doesn't come from Paul's own voice. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ, in the power and the authority of Jesus that unites us. This isn't just about making his life easier as a leader. It's about serving Jesus. So Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree with one another in what comes out of your mouth. That you say the same thing. That there be no divisions, no schisms, no dividing factors among you. But that you be perfectly united. That word means to be made perfect. Perfectly joined together in the same mind and understanding, in the same thought, the same judgment, the same purpose, and the same will. That's a really tall order if you think about it. Can you imagine if we all said the same thing? It's crazy. 
Paul is calling the church to be in unity in very specific ways, ways that the church is clearly struggling with. So first he says that the church must be united in what they say. Now Paul is not asking for everyone to have the same opinions about the weather and the same favorite colors and favorite foods and to give up their whole personalities. That's not what he's asking for. It's not about sharing the same personal interests and opinions about small things. But Paul is calling the church to be unified in what matters. To say the same thing about Jesus. The same thing about the gospel. The same thing about the truth of the word. And to proclaim the same risen Jesus. In Luke 6, Jesus tells us that out of the overflow of our hearts, our mouths speak. Have you heard that before? So it means that the things that come out of our mouths actually are pretty indicative of what's going on inside. So if a person has a lot of bitterness coming out, there's probably some bitterness inside. You get the idea. So Paul isn't just saying that we should become mimes that like mimic, or what is the word, not mimes, the ventriloquists, right, that just say say things. He's saying your heart, your mind, we need to be unified the whole the whole way through. Paul is calling the church to be of one heart. And one mind when it comes to the gospel of Jesus Christ. He's calling the church to do the hard work of seeking and maintaining and embodying that unity, even when it requires deep, hard, internal conflict. And even when it goes against our own comfort and personal preference. Next, the church is to be so committed to unity that they have no tolerance for disunity. Now think about that. If in the church we just had no space for disunity, like if, if you're in disagreement with this one, we just have to have a conversation now because we can't do this. The church is called to be one body. And so they shouldn't have different cliques and factions and disagreements about doctrine with one another. As one theologian put it, whether or not there will be divisions in a church depends in large measure on whether Christians consider divisions acceptable. There's a lot to disagree about. It doesn't take long to think about things we could fight about. And yet if Christians consider divisions to be unacceptable, they'll be more flexible, more considerate, they'll be more likely to approach one another in love and to work out those differences in ways that don't bring harm to any part of the church or the body. This is what Paul's asking for. Intolerance of division and humble, courageous willingness to have the hard conversations, to approach one another with love, to ask questions before passing judgment, to defer to the wisdom of God over the wisdom of man, and to compromise our preferences and needs for the needs of others. This unity of thought and heart and speech, this unity that defies all division, demands peace. But it's not what's happening in Corinth. Paul goes on to explain in verse 11 that he'd heard from other believers who'd visited Corinth. So Chloe, we assume, is a Christian, and she'd had people that worked for her that had done some traveling. And they'd gone to Corinth and come back with reports. And these reports were that there were fights and quarrels in Corinth, and they were quarrels about following. Some people were saying, I follow Paul, and some people were saying, I follow Apollos. Others were saying, I follow Cephas, that's Peter. And so others were saying, I follow Jesus. 
And it's not difficult to see why these factions are developing. It's, it's very much human nature on display. See, Paul had planted this church in Corinth, right? So in, in many ways, he's their spiritual parent. And so, of course, some people are, we're loyal to Paul. This is Paul's church. It makes complete sense. For others, there's this man named Apollos that you can read about in Acts. And we read in Acts that Apollos was a deeply spiritually gifted man. Manifestations of the gifts. He was an eloquent preacher and speaker. And so you can see why some people said, man, that guy Apollos, like we got to follow him. Then you've got Cephas, that's, that's Peter, the disciple. Now Peter had been with Jesus in person. None of these other guys had been with Jesus in person. Peter had spent his life focusing predominantly on Jewish Christians who had come to the faith. And so perhaps people who were Jewish or people who really liked this sort of old guard transition from Judaism to Christianity people might have said, guys, we really got to gotta follow Peter. He's, he's got it. And so others declared that they followed Christ. And I mean, who can argue with that? Do you follow Christ? I follow Christ, right? Now the problem here isn't having preference in style or approach. It really is okay to prefer different speaking styles or different personalities. But the problem here is the approach and the motivation behind it and the fruit that it produces. Because for the people who were declaring which leader was most worthy to be followed... It's not about Paul or Apollos or Cephas being great. It's really about that follower being great for picking the right one. Right? Like, I'm the smart one. I picked the winning horse, the holiest leader, the best leader. Even those that say that followed Christ are being corrected by Paul here. Paul doesn't say these guys got it. Not because they follow Christ, but because this declaration is not so much about following Christ, but about standing out as holier as wiser than brothers and sisters. What we've got here is pride and selfishness. Each one wants to distinguish himself and have his preferences celebrated and affirmed and being put at the forefront. And the great irony of it all is that Paul wasn't fighting with Apollos. You know, Jesus wasn't upset with Cephas. They weren't competing or comparing. No one was asking us to take a vote. They were united in the truth of the gospel. They were committed to the same mission of Jesus Christ. They were preaching the same truth, just in a beautiful, different variety, which is the point, really. But, like a body that has cancer, where cells work together to go against each other for no logical reason at all, each individual group had gotten so vocal, not about biblical truth, but about their opinions. And their preferences. And it was literally tearing. That word for schism in there is like tearing the very fabric of the church apart. This isn't a new thing for our enemy to use our humanity (laughs) to tear us apart, is it? Even today it's those, those little tug on our heartstrings, things that seem so important in the moment and might actually be good. It's those things that aren't quite central to the gospel, but that we get really aggressive about, that create division within our church. It's preferences over which pastor is preaching, or which one, which leader gives us a call. It's demands about what style songs we sing, and what programs or Bible studies we are or are not offering. 
It's an unwillingness to respect another person's COVID boundaries or a demand that everyone else respond to it the same way that we have. It's being willing to respect the leadership of one while being unwilling to hear or obey the words of another. Church, we're not bound to have the same opinion and preferences. God made us different. Hear me clearly, and it's beautiful. But we are bound to have the same opinions on things that matter. As one theologian put it, we are to share the same attitude. The attitude of a humble, grateful servant. Servants who love to see one another advancing. We're to be united in the same judgment. Sharing the same judgment means that we value the proper things, the biblical things. This is getting into the arena of opinions, and we shouldn't be surprised that God would call us to be united even in our opinions. We're called to value the wisdom of God over man. We're called to boast in the Lord and not in the ability of man or ourselves. And we're called to value others over ourselves. Now these things might not feel like a big deal, and yet they can have the power to bring incredible damage. We've seen it. Churches have split over song choices, right? Like terrible, terrible things. And so it's no wonder that Paul gets really direct with Corinth in response to these divisions. He gives three questions. Now, I don't know about you, but if your mother asks you three questions one after the other without giving you space to talk, you're in trouble. Right? Three questions that assume the answer no. Three questions that make clear that Paul is incredulous. He is shocked at how the church has missed the point and the way that they have made idols out of leaders. Jesus isn't divided. No one but Jesus died on that cross. And when you get baptized, it has no, nothing to do with who dunks you under or sprinkles. It is about Jesus, the power of Jesus, the authority of Jesus, what Jesus has purchased for you, what he offers to you. This is why Paul says that he's grateful that he didn't baptize very many people. Now, this is a really weird section, right? Like, what are you saying, Paul? But his point is, I'm glad I didn't baptize you people so you couldn't brag about me. It's not about me. Baptism is really important because it's about Jesus. Look to the one who died for you, says Paul. Look to the one who has united himself to you. Look to the one who unites us to one another in him. Look to the one who calls you to be set apart, holy unto him, and holy unto one another. As the hymn writer Helen Howarth Lemmel put it, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at his wonderful face, and all those things of the earth will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and his grace. There's a lot to be divided over these days. We all know the conversations we avoid, the ones that are hard as you think about Thanksgiving, right, around your family table. And yet, the gospel of Jesus Christ and the calling within it make a way for radical unity in a world of division. When we follow Jesus, we can honor leadership transitions, and we can glean wisdom from different voices. You can hear a preacher from a different denomination and praise God at the end. Did you know? It's tr- I said it. It's true, right? When we follow Jesus, we can have patience and grace for people who read completely different news sources than us. 
And that's okay. When we follow Jesus, we can hear those perspectives of others without that, like, you know, that tension where you just really need to say something because they're wrong. Maybe. Or that tension of, like, wow, I feel really insecure right now because I didn't, I hadn't heard that before or I didn't know that. We can have those conversations. When we follow Jesus, we can worship together with joy regardless of different opinions. Did you know that you can worship the Lord with a brand new song? You can. It's true. I've tried it. And those old ones just still tug something in there, right? Like it's all beautiful. We can do that. When we follow Jesus, we can have hard conversations. We can have the grace to let the lesser things go for the sake of Jesus and what he's doing. Because when we follow Jesus, we're united. You know, this morning we talked a lot about miracles and power and what that's going to show the world. And friends, if we are fighting about small things, all that gets undone, right? But when we are united, his gospel, the love of God, his grace, his power, all of it is on display within his united body. And so churches, we continue to wade into this season of consecration, because it's not really a leap, right? You're swimming around on what's going on inside. As we consider the people and the things that we follow, the ways we spend our time and our energy, the conversations we have, and the preferences that we are all born with, I believe that the Lord would have us keep these questions at the forefront. Who are we following? What are we following? And are the people and the ideas that we follow pointing to Jesus? Because if they aren't, it's going to make a mess. Scripture tells us that we cannot follow two masters. You'll either love one and hate the other or vice versa. And so may we all continue to say together, more and more as individuals and as this body at Gold Avenue Church, that together we follow Jesus. Amen? Let's pray. God, this morning I want to praise you for simple and plain truth. Because I think the enemy right now wants to tell us that it's all just too confusing. And yet, God, you know the truth and you know the way. And you made us to be united in you and in one another. And so, God, as we all spend our time with you, as we think about consecration, Lord, we ask that you would expose those areas in which we're not following you. And Lord, we thank you for your grace that meets us in those spaces. God, would you pour out that grace and abundance on us so that we can pour out that grace and abundance on one another? And Lord, would this church, would each one here, truly follow you and would you be abundantly glorified in each one and in this body in jesus name amen